Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Amen. I'm going to miss that. <laughs> I'm really going to miss you, Joe. But uh, this is a very bittersweet moment for Marie and I. This uh, happens to be my last Sunday at Sturkey on staff. And uh, it's one of those moments where I'm looking back over these past couple of years and I'm looking back at everything I'm so thankful for, all the friendships and all the everything that God has blessed me with here at the church of Sturkey Hills. But it's kind of a cool story. Four years ago, four and a half years ago, I was on a train in the middle of Mongolia in plains surrounded by no one but sheep and I was headed towards the Chinese border and I remember like it was yesterday as I was on this train it's a tiny little like cot you're in that's like barely the length of my body and you're squeezed in with like three other people in this like tiny space and they stink and you stink there's no showers and stuff and and it's just bad and and it's hot and it's muggy and I remember I was sitting there I was reading my Bible and uh, I was in the book of Acts and there was a theme that kept popping up into, like, just kept popping in my mind. It was, it was every time I was reading about Paul's missionary journey, there were moments where the Spirit would speak into Paul's life. He would block him from going somewhere. Or he would, like, give him an urgency or a, a desire in his heart to go share the gospel somewhere. It was the Spirit constantly leading Paul to these different places and guiding him. And I remember as I'm sitting on this train in the middle of nowhere with my best friend, I'm sitting here going, like, okay, God, like, this is awesome. I pray that I can respond like Paul when you speak to me like this, or and I pray that you do speak to me like this. I'm in tune with you, and I can listen to what you're calling and leading me in my life where I'm supposed to go. And I remember, like, okay, I'll just sit and wait now. Like, maybe it'll happen a week. Maybe it'll happen months from now. I don't know. Well, I didn't realize that in the next hour it was going to happen. I'm sitting on this train, and I'm headed towards the border, and we had to go uh, to the border every 90 days to have our visa renewed. You get a stamp, go back into the country for 90 days. And it was an 18-hour train ride, and we get to the border. And I remember I was sitting there with my friend, and I, I was reading my Bible, and it was just this supernatural, out-of-this-world experience and moment where I just felt this absolute peace about what's about to happen. And I also knew that something bad was about to happen. I knew something was about to go down. I did not know what. I look at my friend and I say, we need to pack our bags. Something's about to go down. I don't know what, but we, let's just pack our bags and figure out what's going to happen next. And so we, we start packing our bags, putting all of our junk and our little totes that we had. And, and uh, I remember as soon as we packed our bag, the last item in the bag, we sat down. As soon as my butt hit the bench, knock on our door. And I was like, okay, this is weird. And, and I remember these two huge guards with these, like, big guns were standing there like, we need the Americans to come with us. And, like, Todd and I, like, we're sitting there like, okay, well, God, you've warned us. God, you obviously have a plan. 
And normally in this situation, you'd be scared. We weren't scared. There was something really cool about where God would just flood us. Like, I wanted to be scared almost. I'm like, there's dudes with these huge guns dragging us off to a, a, a cell in the middle of a desert with no town except for like 7,000 miles away. I mean, it was like ridiculous. We were in the middle of nowhere. And we're sitting in this room with these guards yelling at us. And we just felt at peace because we knew God was guiding us and he was leading us and he was closing doors. And, and I share this because there was this overwhelming sense of God was drawing me somewhere. And I didn't realize that that was closing the door to being in Mongolia and getting kicked out of the country. I could put down on a resume. I've, I've been banned from a country for 60 days. I don't know about you, but I think that says something. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be preaching. I don't know. But I was like a convict. I got kicked out of the country because visa laws changed. We could no longer renew it, and we had stayed. They didn't warn us about it. We stayed 30 days over what we were supposed to stay. And so this time, they're like, give us your money because they wanted to uh, get some money out of us and then kick us out of the country. And so we had to come home, and I came home to Knoxville, Tennessee. And this is where the story gets really crazy, because if you don't know it yet in your journey, God works in mysterious ways. I mean, it's incredible how God works. And I found out about a year ago, one of my closest friends here in Knoxville, I'd gone to college with him. He's actually sitting here, Josh right here. I've been praying about me and some of his friends that he would bring that community back together, that he'd been praying. And so I blame Josh for the reason why I was detained and kicked out of a country, because at that same time he was praying that God would lead, you know, his friends back and all this stuff, and I ended up back here in Knoxville, but again, I made the mistake. I kept telling God what I was going to do next. I told him I would stay for 12 months in Mongolia. He made it nine months. I told him my next step was I'm going to Louisville, Kentucky. I'll finish my MDiv, and then I'll go and be a pastor somewhere. Well, God had different plans for me. When I was in Knoxville, I met with Josh at Stock and Barrel, and we were just talking and laughing and catching up and having a good time, and, and we were just catching up on our old college days at Boyce, and he asked me, what am I going to do for the next couple years? And I would tell him, God, you know, like, I feel like I'm going to seminary, I'm going to get married to Marie, and we're going to be happy, and I'll finish my MDiv super fast, and that's the plan. And he was like, well, what are you doing for the next couple months? I was like, I mean, I'm just sitting around until I get married, that's all I'm doing. So he was like, well, why don't you come check out this church I'm at? Why don't you come out to this place called the Church of Sturkey Hills? And I'm like, the church at Sturkey Hills? No. The Church of Sturkey Hills. The church at Turkey Hills? No, the church at Sturkey Hills. And I'm like, what in the world of a name is that? Like, like I don't know. And he was like, no, come here. Seriously, it's awesome. God has a, an incredible plan for this church. He's got a passionate pastor and a vision for this place. And they just need people to come and help and serve. And I was like, you know what? I'll try it out. You know, I wasn't planning that week or in the next couple weeks to go to Sturkey. But I was like, I'll, I'll come by and see what, what's up. And the very next morning... God works in mysterious ways. I get a call from a stranger named Joel Dew. Hi, I'm Joel Dew, and I had met up with a mutual friend of ours, and he told me that you're back in the country, that you just got done with missions, and that you're just kind of around for a bit. How would you like to check out the Sturkey and see if it's a fit, if you want to hang out and help us out for a bit? And I'm like, okay, God, like, you have to be doing something here. And I was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to test this out and see what's up. So I remember January 2015, Pastor Joel met me over there at the Applebee's off of Merchants. And I remember you have a pastor that loves this 
church. I remember sitting down and he just began talking about the vision that God has given him, the love for the people, the elderly in this church that had been here before the revitalization, the heart and the passion they have for this community. And like he just began to share this incredible vision and story about the church of Turkey Hills. And I knew in that moment, that same supernatural peace came over to my life. And I knew this is where God is calling me and leading me. This is where I need to be. And so for four and a half years, man, like I remember, like there was moments where Marie and I, when we first were married and we were serving here, when we were first married, we were uh, just started teacher salary. It was Marie's first year teaching. And for me, I just started serving at Sturkey, and there wasn't really any pay in that at all, but like like something like 150 a month or something. We were living in a single bedroom apartment. We had $300 to our name our first month of marriage. And I remember like looking back, we never felt like God didn't provide for us. We never felt like we never had a meal. We never felt like we were left out to uh, hang and dry. Like we felt God was here with us through this journey and has been blessing the people of this church and they blessed us through this, these past four years. And the reason why I say this is because my point for you is you should be proud of who you are. My first point in today's lesson is be proud of who you are. You are the church at Sturkey Hills. This place is incredible. I don't know if you know it, but there are not many churches that are growing. In fact, there are more churches dying than there are growing. I don't know if you know it. There's not many churches that are baptizing anyone. This church is baptizing people. There's not many churches that see people getting saved. This church is seeing people getting saved. In the past four years, God has been blowing up this church, and not just because of the pastors and, and, and the leaders and stuff, because this is a special community of people. This is the church of Sturkey Hills. And you have so much to be proud of. And this moment for me is a very bitter, sweet moment. It's bitter because I've grown to love Joel and Joe like brothers. Joel's been a great mentor these past couple of years. I've grown to learn about his passion that he has for this church and his love for preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel to the people in this community. I love Joe like a brother and get to worship and hang out with him and serve. And it's just been God has blessed me so greatly. And there's so much to be proud of, but this moment is also sweet. Because four months ago, about four months ago, three months ago, that same supernatural peace came over my life again. And it was a time when God had called me to go on a new step of journey. He had shut some doors and he'd opened up some new ones. And every time he's done that, he's always launched my wife and I into some incredible uh, new paths that he just continues to bless us through. And so my first point is be proud of who, who you are. As my last sermon to you, I want to give you three challenges, three challenges to encourage you to continue to walk forward with. I want to challenge you with these three things. And the first one is be proud of who you are. Because you see, in verse, we'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we'll be walking through Paul's kind of like goodbye to the church of Thessalonians in his letter. And I think it's fitting for this moment because this is my last message I'll be giving to you. And so I want to get encourage you with the same way that Paul was encouraging the church of Thessalonica. And the first one is be proud of who you are because you see in verse 5 of chapter 5, he says, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Immediately in his uh, passage here, he is trying to give you confidence in who you are and what God has made you be. You are no longer children of darkness. You are children of light. 
And I love that because, you see, the Church of Sturkey Hills is not a building. The Church of Sturkey Hills is not the future building that's going to be built. It's not the programs in this church. It is every single member that is a follower of Christ that lives in this community together. The church is bigger than just an individual. It is a group of believers that walk and talk and are proud to serve Christ together. And I want you to know you have such a strong and powerful reason to be proud of who you are. Not just as a church, but as an individual. As an individual, what does the Bible say about who we are? We're something special. We are the light of God. We are children of light. What does that mean to be children of light? That means you are, as an individual, blood-bought. You are blameless, holy, righteous. You are now a child of God, a son and daughter, the adopted sons and daughters of God. That means you are a part of God's kingdom. It means you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You have so much to be proud of. My question is, do you walk around as someone who is proud of who you are? You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This means that as a new creation in Christ, we are now a light in this dark world. It means you and I, now in Christ, we are walking, talking, breathing reflections of God's glory to everyone we meet. And we have so much to be proud of who we are. Not because of things we have done. Not because of things that we have, because of the God that is inside of us. Because the God that loves us. Because the God that has brought this community, this church together. And I know for the past four years, we've seen countless students saved and people saved and baptized. And, and I know God is working in this church. And I know you have so much to be proud of. And I want you to be encouraged and know that you have so much to be proud of in yourself. So be proud in who you are. But Paul makes it really clear. And I love this because people like me, we're like, we, we, we fall into that category of scripture that say the sheep. And the sheep are dumb animals, okay? Like, sheep are dumb. I lived in Mongolia with sheep herders, and they had flocks of tens of thousands. If they didn't have a shepherd over them, those sheep would fall off a cliff because they were just, they're just dumb. They don't know what's best for themselves, and they need a guide. And so for me, Paul makes Scripture really simple because sometimes it's the simple things that help us grow. And I know this is funny, but he distinguishes what someone who is a light, a child of light, and he distinguishes someone who is a child of of darkness, And I want to look at what those look like so you can know, hey, I'm a child of light, so I have a reason to be proud of who I am. And that is, you see, he says, for, all, for you all, children of light, children of the day, we are not children of night and darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but, but let us keep awake and be sober. You see, I love that word sleep there. You see, if you're a child of God, it means you're not sleep. That word sleep there is so cool. In Greek, it's kathudo. And you know what kathudo means? It literally translates dead to. It means you are dead to something. If you are asleep, right, you are dead to something. What are you dead to if you're a child of darkness? You're dead to the light. What is the light? It's God. So if you are a child of light, you are no longer dead to God. But you are alive in Christ Jesus. But those who are in darkness, they're dead to the things of God. They're dead to God's grace and his goodness and, and everything. But you see, this is why I've always tried my best in life. Like I've, I've really made a point in my life to try not to condemn sinners for being sinners. That's not my place. 
But the reason why I say this, simple people will do what's in their nature. Sin. And it would be foolish of me to expect a sinful person not to sin. And so when I see students or someone in sin, I expect that that is their nature and that's common to their heart because they are a child of dark. And there needs to be a heart change to change that. But I try my best to be like as Luke 23, 24 says, where Jesus is being crucified and these soldiers are casting lots for his clothes. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, if you are dead to God, you're dead to the light of the world. And what that means, if you're dead to the light, you're dead to the truth. If you're dead to the truth, you have no idea what stupid mistakes you're making. And so Jesus was like, they're dark. They're in the darkness. They're dead to you. They don't understand. They don't have the light in their life. And so what they are doing is because they are not with me. They're not in a relationship with God. They don't have the light of the world. This is why Stephen, as he has stones being hurled at his face, right? Imagine what your thoughts would be if someone's hurling stones at your face. Stephen's thoughts as stones were being hurled at his face were, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That is a crazy statement. But if you are a child of light, you know what you have an understanding of? You have an understanding of what is the right path to follow. You see, blind, so, or not, blind drunk, darkness people do not know the path they're walking. And so they're stumbling into sin day in and day out. You see, if you are not sober, you're drunk. And if you are drunk, that means you cannot stay on a straight path. And so many of us don't know this, but we fall off the right path because we're dead to God. And I want you to know, you can be proud of who you are. If you have Christ in your life, you have the right path to follow. See, verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night, right? I always, I always love this because I had a friend in high school. Like, we were idiots, my friends and I. We really were. We just weren't, like, smart wise kids, and, and we would do so many stupid things, you know, we do the typical things of like rolling people's houses, saran wrapping people's cars, uh, egging places, you know, we would go drink and smoke and do all the stupid teenager stuff that we were doing. We were dead to God in that time, but there was, I remember when I would go pick up my friend, it would be like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., we'd go hang out, I always remember his grandma would come walking out of the room, and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're just hanging out. She's like, nothing good ever happens after 9 p.m. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what is wrong with you, Grandma? And, uh, but, like, you know what the funny thing is? She's absolutely true. Like, that statement at the time, I was like, it's stupid. I was dead to the wisdom that she had. I was dead to the light that she was trying to shed on my life. But it was absolutely true. I never did anything good after 9 p.m. It was just all foolish, stupid stuff because I was blind. And, 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 and for us, I wonder, is God looking at us saying, nothing good ever happens in the dark, and yet we continue to walk in the dark? Because we're blind and dead to the things and the goodness of God. See, if you have God in your life, you're not dead to God. 
and you are awake. You see, those that sleep, it says dead too, right? They walk drunk and they're not sober. But he distinguishes that's what someone who is, is, is in darkness and night and asleep looks like. He says that's what they look like. But then he distinguishes for us simple people what it looks like to be someone who's a child of the light. Verse 8, he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And I love that the first thing he points out is sober. Because see, blind people are drunk, and when they walk through places, it's like they're drunk because they have no idea and control of their actions. We all know the struggle with sin. When sin is in your life, it causes your flesh to get drunk with temptation. And it, 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 it drives you down a bad path. But when you are a child of God, you are sober. That means when you walk through life, you walk as someone who has a purpose. You walk with someone who has a solid ground to walk on. You see, drunk people don't have a solid ground. The ground's moving everywhere under them. But for those who are in Christ, you have a solid rock that the gates of hell can never prevail against. You have a God that is guiding you, and nothing will ever remove that. You have a path and a destination and a purpose and a motivation to get to where you are going. It's because Christ is the light of the world, the truth, and he guides you with his truth. And so we walk as someone who is sober, understanding and purpose. And, and we look that, uh, he says that having put on a breastplate of faith, and I love that he uses imagery here. He uses armor. Armor was meant for war. See, when you are blind and drunk, I try to tell our students all the time, you are an easy target to cut off. It's easy to kill people in the darkness. That's why most crime and murder happens at night. You know what my friends and I didn't do during the day? We didn't roll people's houses. We didn't egg people's houses. We didn't do all that stupid foolish stuff because in the day, there's exposing of the truth. There's exposing of what's in our life and our path. And so those who are in the day, they walk prepared for war. And what does that look like? They have the breastplate of faith and love. What is faith? Faith is our confident assurance and expectation of God's word. We absolutely trust the word of God. And if he says you are to love someone and that brings about a path of good for your life that leads you to eternal life, we have a confidence and a faith that that is absolutely true. Why? Because God said it. We have faith that everything God says is absolutely true. So we are protected by faith in God, and nothing can take that away from us. But not only faith, faith and love. What is love? God is love. We are covered with faith poured out to us by the love of God. And the second part that he mentions is my favorite, the, the helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, the breastplate, it protects it protects your vital organs. If you were to be stabbed by a sword in their time, you probably don't want to be stabbed in this general area. You'd probably rather get hit in the arm because you're probably not going to die if, you're, if your arm is slashed. But if your lung is punctured, if your heart is punctured, you're going to bleed out or choke and die. And that's why he starts with the breastplate, but then he moves to the helmet. The helmet protects your head. It protects your brain. It protects your thoughts. And it's a hope of salvation. What do we use to motivate ourselves as Christians? The word used by Paul here is my favorite Greek word. It's a funny sounding one. It's elpis. Elpis is a funny sounding word. But the power behind the meaning of it is so good. That word means hope. For us in English, that just kind of means like I'm going to flip this coin and hope it lands on heads. That's not an assurance. That's a gamble. 
I hope that when I drive home today, I don't get in a wreck. That's not an assurance. That's a gamble. When Paul writes hope here, a hope of salvation, he is saying that there is an absolute 100% trust that you know that salvation is coming and you can be bold in what you do. You can be proud of who you are because you are a child of light and you have a hope in Christ that you will be saved because God is the one saving you and he is guiding you to that place. That's what it means to have hope. And that is what children of light are, are, are clothed with. So you want to know how you can be proud of who you are? Be clothed in faith. Be clothed in love. Be clothed in hope. That's how you can walk confidently, being proud of who you are. And you know what helps you do things that are Christianly, like love people, encourage, and pray? It's being confident that you are a child of God. And so that's why my second point is be bold in what you do. See, if you are proud in what you are because you have absolute assurance of victory, you can be proud of who you are and you can be bold in what you do because you are a child of God. Verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are, do as you are doing. And I love that the first thing starts with encouragement because People, if you are in someone's life, I wonder, do they feel better off because you are in their life or not? Christians are stamped with a bold, a bold action, and that is encouragement. When Christians who are proud of who they are walk into someone's life, they should be encouraging. That word encourage means to push, to lift up, to get to the next level of faith, to bring joy, to excite, to bring a, a motivation into their life. And we are called as a church at Turkey Hills to be bold and proud of who we are, be bold in what we do. And one of the things that we are supposed to be bold in is encouraging one another. And I want to challenge the church to be bold in what you do. And the first one is to build one another up. The problem is, <laughs> to build one another up, you have to be a community. You have to be with people. And that's why I use this time to plug in something incredible for this church, and that is life groups. If you're not in a life group, you're missing out. You're missing out on the opportunity to be encouraged, to be built up. To be motivated, to grow in Christ, to have strength in, the, in being proud of who you are. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 10, 24, and, and not Paul, but the writer says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, the reason why I push life groups because that's where my life has been the most encouraged. Like the people that I surround myself in my community, my friends, the pastors, those that I spend time with, this community, this church of Sturkey Hills, the life group that we've had in here has greatly blessed my marriage. And I know because of that is blessed my children's future because it has encouraged me to grow more to be like Christ. And I want to say that if you're a child in this room, you should beg, scream, cry until your parents drag you to church. I hope that you don't have to do that. I hope your parents drag you to church. But if you are a child, man, church is an incredible place, and that's where you have your friends built up in Christ, and that's where you should be. If you're a student, same thing. You have a car, drive yourself to church. 
Prove to the world that you don't care more about money and athletics and sports and things, but prove to the world that God is important and being encouraged in Christ is more important. If you're a young adult, you know what the best thing you can do for your future and your family? Set a foundation of a community of Christ that encourages you to grow closer to be like God and loves you. If you're a parent, you are a parent. A child is a child, and a child is not a parent. Church should be a non-negotiable. And if you are proud of who you are, you know what you can say to coaches? I am a Christian, and my community of fellow believers is important to me because I am proud to be a son and daughter of God. I'm proud to be a light of this world, and I will choose church and community before I choose a Wednesday night practice. I will choose church and community before I sacrifice my child's future for tournaments. I will choose a community of love and encouragement for my family before I choose vacations and, and business and academics and everything else. We should be bold in what we do, and that is because we are proud of who we are. And we should set a standard to not... Be cowardly in giving answer to this world when they judge us for skipping out on stuff and they get mad at us for skipping on the stuff. We have every reason to be proud of who we are because we are the light of the world in Christ Jesus and we should be excited about that. And the last one is senior adults in this room. You have so much wisdom. <laughs> and I hope the youth in this church and the young adults in this church. Go to the seniors for the wisdom that they have because there's so much encouraging wisdom that can be poured out. It's years of God blessing people's lives and showing them the way of this world and teaching them that can be poured out to encourage one another. Take advantage of that. Now is the time to encourage one another. It's to build one another up. Verse 12, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and you are, or, or, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And I love this because the church of Turkey Hills, not only should you be stamped and bold and doing, uh, encouraging one another, but you should be a place that loves your pastors. I can tell you this, being a pastor is a thankless job, and you have an incredible pastor that is here. Pastor Joel has a vision and strength and drive, and he loves you. I know he loves every single one of you, and he would give the shirt off his back for you. That's how much he loves you. And here it's saying that we should respect those who labor among you. It's not only Pastor Joel and Joe. It's, it's also the people that work in the soundboard, that play guitar, who do this for free and do that for free, give up their Thursday night and give up their Sunday mornings. It's those who come and clean the trash in the church. We should respect those who serve the church. And it says we should esteem them very highly in love. You should love the people of the church that are willing to serve. I don't know if you know this. And this is sad to me. 20% of every church does 100% of the work of the church. That's sad. 
I want to challenge the church at Turkey Hills to be a place where 100% of the church does 100% of the work of the church because every single one of you has been brought here by God and you are specifically and specially gifted in something that God has given you and he wants you to give that back to him. You do not come to church to be served. You come to be like Christ and that is to serve. That is our command. And we have a church of a pastor that loves you. And I don't know if you know it, but like every Monday, it's the hardest day for a pastor. They just get beat up, right? They just, they just sit there and think like, oh, was the worship too loud? Did people get grumble about that again? Or is, did, did I mess up that point and someone get off track on that one? Or was attendance, did so many people go on vacation this week? Was attendance high or low? Like it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a job that has a lot of struggles with it. And that's more the reason that we need to protect them and love them and encourage them. Because Satan wants to cut off the head of the snake. Because if you can cut off the head, guess what? The body's going to die. And so we at the Church of Sturkey Hill should be bold in protecting our pastors and be willing to stand up for them. But even further, we says here, right, be peace with one another. We should be stamped as a place. I remember four years ago when I walked into the doors, you know what the word that resonated with me with this church was? Home. You know how many people have told me when they walked in these doors, the word that resonates with them is home? It's almost 100% of the people that come here. I mean, it's crazy the amount of people say, like, when we came in, that place felt like home. You know what home feels like? A safe place, a place of peace, a place of harmony, a place of love. This church should be stamped as a safe place of peace and harmony and love. And I challenge you to continue to foster that. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. That word admonish there literally translates to be a warning them, right? It doesn't, when there's a hard way, there's a bad way to read this word, and it's to judge people. Look at someone and say, you are in sin. Stop it. That's kind of like the Christian attitude that we have and make us the religious elites. But that's not what Paul is writing here. He doesn't want you to look at someone and say, stop it, you're being bad. What he wants us to do is warn them and love them and pray for them and encourage them. That word admonish is to see the path that someone is going down. You know if someone is headed and destined down the path and that path leads to hell and destruction, You have a Christian responsibility to look at that person and say, no, stop, please. I beg you. I plead with you. Turn away. There is a light. Please turn. And I want to challenge the church at Sturkey Hills. This is kind of bold and crazy and maybe a little radical. But here in Knoxville, it should be a goal that no one in Knoxville, dies and goes to hell. And if they do dies and goes to hell, they should only go to hell after they have dragged, you have been dragging on their corpse with bloodied hands and tear stains, begging, pleading, praying, warning for them not to die and go to hell. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because that's what God did for you. Died on a cross. He, begged, he, 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 he bled out for us. And now, resurrected Christ is sharing a message 
of how you can turn away from your path of destruction, how he has taken that path of destruction for you. And he's given us that same message to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and to share the love of God to this world. And no one should have to go to hell without being unwarned. That's our responsibility, to warn the people of this world about the love of God. And I challenge the church of Sturkey Hills to be someone who does that. But you know what the funniest part about this one is for me? Patience. Be patient with them all. I am the worst at patience. I'm not a very patient person. But just to give an example of this, the other day, like, I had a victory in patience. My son, Hudson, 14 months old, <laughs> he was playing, he was having fun, we are like, giggling, having a good time. He came up to me, he bit me on the leg. And I'm like, Hudson? <laughs> no. And he laughed, and he's like, ha. He looked me in the eye, and then turned to my leg, bit me again. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, great. This is not good. So I was like, okay, let's, let's learn no. Hudson, no. And then he looked at me again, and he stared at me a little bit longer this time, paused, <laughs> bent back down, bit me on a leg a third time. This time I'm like, oh, gosh, this is bad. Like, we're heading down a bad path right now. This time I'm like, I grab his hand. I'm like, Hudson, no. And he looks at me pauses again, and he goes, ha, 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 and then just starts whacking me as hard as he can multiple times, and I'm like, and for me, the reason why I share this, you know what's easy for me to do? <laughs> Be patient with my son. That's my flesh and blood. That's my son, and I love him more than anything else. You know what would not be easy for me to do? If that was someone else's child that came up and bit me in the leg. That would be so much harder to sit there and say, no, no, <laughs> no. It would be so much harder. Your response would be like, what is wrong with you? Get your act together, child. That is not what we are supposed to do as Christians. It says we are to be patient with all. That word literally translates as long-suffering. means that if we see someone who is in the path of sin, we understand that they are dead to God. They don't see the right path to walk. We warn them. We pray for them. We admonish them. We encourage them. We try to turn, help them, and we are long-suffering in doing so, meaning we will go until they are, there is no more opportunity. It means no matter what they say about us, no matter what they do towards us, we will be long-suffering and trying to show them God's love. And I encourage you as a church to be bold in what you do and admonishing and encouraging and reaching out for the lost in the city. But it says in verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Christians, Christians that are confident in Christ don't need to repay evil for evil. Let me make this clear. Christians that know they are the light of the world know that in Christ they have every spiritual blessing and everything they ever need. And there is no reason to repay evil for evil. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear about children of light that God's love is lavished upon their lives. So much so that it overflows into other people's lives. When someone does something bad towards you, there should be no ill will. They should do, we should do exactly what Christ did. Someone strikes you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. That's what we're called to do as Christians. 
We are to be a different standard of people, a proud, bold nation, holy nation of Christ that is proud of who we are, but also bold in what we do, always seeking to do good. And I, the hardest thing with this one, it says always do good. It doesn't mean like I'm at church Sunday morning, I put on my good clothes, I say nice things, then I go to work Monday and I'm a different person. It doesn't mean that I read my Bible for the next 15 minutes while God is on my mind, I'll do some good. It means at all points of all day, you are living out your new nature. God living through you, being good, seeking to do good. We always do good, and that's why he backs it up saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus your life. You ever wonder what God's will for you is or for this church? We just found out what God's will is. It's to encourage, it's to plead, it's to pray, it's to, it's to, it's to love your pastors, it's, to, it, it's this whole list. It's not a job. It's not a degree. It's not a, a career in athletics or something. It's not any of this stuff. It's a heart. God's will for your life is your heart to be his. Your motivations what you're proud in, what you love to do, all of it. Be something in which you give to God and rejoice always. There's always a moment to rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. You see, as Christians, it's hard to be always happy because you are a target for the enemy. The enemy wants to beat us up us and spit us out. And this one took me the longest in life in my walk with God to learn. I look back in the past like 10 years of being walking with God, and this is a weird statement, but I just recently have grown to know this. I'm more thankful for the hard times in my life than I am the times of blessing and comfort. Let me make this clear. I am more thankful for every bruise and every beating I've ever taken. I'm, I'm more thankful for every bit of brokenness I have felt. Because you see, when I was comfortable, I did not see my need to be in God's arms. But when I was bruised and broken and spit out, I knew that I needed a savior. I needed a God. I needed a healer. I needed the God of this world. I needed the great light. I needed to be a child of God. And so it was those times I look back and they hurt and they were painful. But man, God has given me the greatest blessings through every pain I've ever felt. And he shows us through his son, Jesus. He experienced the greatest pain to bring about the greatest blessing for us. And I know God has taught me that in my life. And we as a church at Turkey Hills are to be proud and bold. And that's why you can have confidence when the world is trying to chew you up. You can be bold in what you do. Because there is a God who loves you and is strengthening you and is encouraging. But test everything and hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. We have a long list that has been provided to us by Paul. I know I went through and I just blew up like a shotgun of all these things that we are called to do and be challenged to do. And it's easy to look at this list and say like, God, that's impossible. Like no one is this perfect. That's true. No one is this perfect. In fact, you will never perfectly fulfill that list until you are made absolutely glorified in Christ. But that doesn't mean you give up. 
See, people who are confident in Christ know that, yes, they fight this battle with their flesh and in weakness. And they can stand there and say, yes, in my weakness, I will rely on Christ to be my strength. And so we have this huge list of challenges. And I know for some of you, there's probably one or two that you look down and like, that's not possible for me. The light of the world and the children of God will never say the things of God are impossible. Patience for me was impossible when I was in high school. I was stubborn, I was foolish, I was stupid. And when God showed me his patience and his long-suffering for me and rescued me, he showed me his character and his goodness, and he said, Kyle, this is the character I want you to embody. And so for the first couple years, it was hard. Like, I remember... I, and this is going to sound funny, but when I was first saved, I knew Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I didn't know anything else in the Bible. I didn't know there were specific commands and ways that we were supposed to live our life. And, and so I was still drinking, and I was still smoking, and I was still cussing, and I was still being stupid. But as I was growing to love God and know more and more about him, and as he was pouring more and more of his love into my life, step by step, things got easier. Because every burden that I had, Christ said, put those burdens on me and I'll help you. And so there was times where, yeah, being patient was impossible. There was times I didn't care about sharing the gospel to people. But as I continued to grow closer to Christ and he poured himself into my life, those things became easier. See, children of God, you don't look at this list and say, I'm not going to do that and I will give up. No, you say, you know what? God loves me and he's given everything to me. I'm going to try my best. I have faith that God is going to help me through this, that he's going to strengthen me for this. That's why my final point is be prepared for Jesus. Be proud of who you are, the light of God, the light of this world, children of light. Be bold in what you do because you're proud to be a child of God. You can walk through this world with confidence and expectation that God is good and he's blessing you and that he promises good to those who are in him. But finally, you do this so that you can be prepared for Jesus. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that it's God of peace himself that sanctifies you. It's not your actions. Your actions are showing your faith that God is working through your life. Your actions are showing that you trust God's word so much you're willing to obey everything and know that it's going to turn out okay, even when it doesn't feel okay. He who calls you is faithful. Do you trust that? Do you trust that the God that has saved you has promised you that he is not going to let you go? No matter how big of an addiction is in your life, no matter how big of a failure you think you are, no matter how weak you are, that he who calls you is faithful and that he is going to drag you to salvation. Did you know that when Jesus left the 99 healthy sheep to go get the one broken sheep, it didn't say that he whacked the sheep and kicked it and pushed it back to the fold. It says he went to that sheep, he picked it up, he threw it on his shoulders, and he walked it back so that the angels could rejoice for that one returned sheep. 
This is what God does to those who are the children of light. This is what God wants of your life, is for you to fall into his hands so he can pick you up and be faithful and promise and fulfill those promises to bring you to salvation. So how are we prepared for the day that Jesus fully glorifies us? How do we stay blameless and prepared for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Paul shows us you're proud to be a child of God. You're bold in what you do in pursuing in faith and confidence and hope and expectation of God. And this prepares you for the return of Christ. You see, he says, he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. God has called you, proud of the calling that God has given you. Child of God. God is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful. He is going to give you the strength so that you cannot fall away from the path. He is going to drag you and carry you. And it says, you can be prepared and know that if you are in those things, he will surely do it. It is a confidence, hope, is an absolute assurance for those who are in the light of Christ that that will become a thing of your life, that you will be saved. And so... I want to encourage you and challenge you. Be proud of who you are, the Church of Sturkey Hills. Man, this is an incredible place, and God is not done. He's going to continue. I know that when a building is put over there, and he's going to fill that building with incredible, incredible children of God. And they're going to set a new standard for this city. They're not going to look like other churches that don't feel like home, but it's going to be about a people group that people come to want to be like and be around because they make everyone's life better, just like God makes our lives better. So I encourage you to be those things, prepared, proud, and bold. And I want to say thank you. These past four years have been some of the greatest years of my life, some of the most painful and some of the most exciting. But man, thank you for letting me be part of this community here. Because God has been so good to me, my wife, and he's been so good to you. And we've been able to love each other with the love of God. And I thank the pastors here. And I thank just the community as a whole. And, and finally, I think the biggest thing on my heart is I know I'll look back in a couple years and look at this church and I'm going to be blown away by what God is going to continue to do with you. I mean, things like Mission 11B, as incredible as they are, that's just the tip of the iceberg when you allow God to work through your life and you begin to walk in confidence and boldness in Christ. Being above the standard average Baptist church, <laughs> that's going to be blown out of the water but continue to walk bold and proud and prepared for Christ. Man, you got something special. And I'm excited for you, and I hope you are excited. I really do. But I would be, I would be, it would be wrong of me if I were to leave without sharing the gospel. Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend that every single one of you 
knows Christ and is a child of light because you've been baptized or because you're a member of this church. The church is made up of believers. And there are some people who have been baptized and who have come and joined a church and followed the programs and been in groups and stuff. But that does not make you a Christian. One of the foolish things we do as Christians is we believe that if we can get rid of sin, it's at that point that God loves us and will save us. God loved you despite how messed up you were in your sin, and he died for that sin nonetheless. He died for me. When I didn't even like him, I was angered at God for a bit. He still died for me. He gave me a new identity. He wants that for you. He doesn't want you to be a member of a building or just another name on a list. He wants you to be a light of the world. To be proud and bold and prepared. And so the gospel is simple. Christ died for us. He died in our place where we deserve death because of our sin, because of our rebellion, and because we were dead to God. We did stupid things. God loved you so much. He still said that he loves you, and he wants to die on the cross for you. And he suffered the separation from his own father. Could you imagine the pain that would be to be separated from the person you love the most for you an infinite amount? and have wrath and judgment and punishment poured out upon you. That's what Christ did for you. That's what he did for me. And to receive the Christ and the love that follows that, he doesn't ask you to be perfect. He doesn't ask you to follow this list perfectly. That's what you do because he has saved you, because he's made you a new creation. All he asks for you just love him have faith in him trust him confess with your mouth that he is lord believe that he is the son of god and he died on the cross for you that is the good news that's the good news he's given me that's the hope he's given me that's the good news i want to give you and i hope i want you to pass to everyone in this church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And if you haven't received that, Panthers, I'll be on the side. I'll pray with you. We'll talk about what it means to be a child of God, what it means to truly have faith. But there's also time to come up here and start praying for yourself and praying for this community and your family, that these things are a standard of truth of your life, that you're proud to be a Christian, you're bold in your actions as a Christian because you're proud of God you're prepared for when Christ were the return if it's today or tomorrow you are you know you can give answer and preparedness for Christ God thank you for dying on a cross for this broken stupid blind dead sinner I deserve nothing good and yet continually you lead me down a path where you just bless me. Undeserved, you bless me. Unreserved, you continue to bless me. You don't hold back good from me. You give everything, an infinite amount of, of blessings to your son Jesus to me. And God, you've called us 
to love you, to be bold in being Christians, to, to have confidence in our hope of salvation, to live a different way of life, to set a standard as to what it means to be a child of light, to no longer look like the children of dark. And God, I pray that that is the church of Sturkey Hills moving forward. They set a standard as to what it means to be a child of light in this world. And it's something beautiful. It's something powerful. And it's a force to be reckoned with. Because the light of the world, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. And I pray that on this hill, there is a lamp that shines. And it's the light of Christ, the light of the world. And the gates of hell will never prevail against it. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray.